never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Dracarys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that has done the math. If we give you every present from the song The Twelve Days of Christmas, that's a shit ton of birds, man. Like, seriously, what's with the birds? My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. How are you, sir? What's up? Have you noticed? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Have you noticed that the first four days are all birds? Then you get five golden rings, and you think you get a break, and they go right back to birds for six and seven? <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> but... But if you do the math, you got to give 12 partridges in a pear tree, and then you move on to turtle doves, so you're getting 22 turtle doves <laughs> by the end of the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know, I didn't think that it was just every day they repeated all the previous day um, gifts, right? I, I thought that I it was be... just kind of reiterating what was given up until that point. <laughs> well, they're either repeating it or reiterating it, but either way, that's a lot of birds. <laughs> enough anyway um, anyway um merry christmas everybody this is our christmas episode this is our last episode of 2023 um which rolls us into new year's so i do have myself an adult beverage tonight um i don't know about you peter but i was like you know what we're doing the final episode of the year i'm grabbing an adult <laughs> beverage <laughs> a nice glass of bourbon to sit and talk about movies and christmas and all that nonsense so Fun stuff. I actually have a uh, rum and coke sitting next to me. So uh, you're dr you're drinking like a sophisticated uh, businessman or something, and I'm drinking like a poor college kid, I guess. But but it works out. So nothing wrong with um, a rum and coke, right? <laughs> uh, I guess it depends but, on how top shelf your rum is before we go into that aspect. But you know, um, but yeah. So uh, leading into Christmas, how's your week been, man? Uh, it's it's been good. Um, kind of hectic. Um, work has been a little bit busier than I expected with it being uh, Christmas time. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, nothing super exciting. Just trying to get like last minute shopping done and stuff like that. Um, have you had anything fun or festive going on, though? You know, I have since we've been since we last recorded, I have been on vacation. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I'm not bored at all. I'm actually uh, been very productive in my vacation. Um, and when I say productive, I'm working on something. And I know I have uh, players who listen, but I am list I am working on a Dungeons and Dragons thing. So a little bit of prep, but it's something specific. It's something special that's going to take some extra time. So um, I've been working on that uh, for the pet for like the first two days of my break. I worked heavily on it. A little more work to go, but you know. Um, but yeah, so I've been productive as opposed to just lounging around in my pajamas and not doing anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, you don't so, want to go 
completely to. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't want to go completely to like pajama town and like. <laughs> you don't want to become the the guy from that Jim Gaffigan bit who gets lazy, who doesn't shower all weekend. But right. um, I was gonna say, did I miss something? Or are you being incredibly cryptic? You just kind of said you're planning some thing for your D&D group. Um, I'm being cryptic because I have players who are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I just love it. It makes for uh, amazing podcasting. I have some thing coming up and I can't say what it is, but it's going to be marvelous. (laughs) I have players at my table who listen to this show. Audrey, I know you're listening, Uh, so I can't (laughs) let it slip. Um, (laughs) Nice. You know. Um, but yeah, so I just been productive for the first couple days and, um, I had, uh, on Sunday, I actually had a, t- a game with my D and D group. So that was a good, nice, it was a good session. We ended on a great, we ended up, we got a lot of, uh, lore dumped information in with some exciting battle and then, um, a really good cliffhanger to the next session. So, you know, um, that's awesome. But yeah. And then, uh, yeah, leading into today, I got, I watched a new movie, a new movie, uh, this afternoon and, uh, yeah, I'm ready to chat about it. So, I don't <laughs> <Okay>. know. so <laughs> do I you want to jump into that or should I, I do say, my... unless you got anything to add to the, what are we doing for the week? Let's jump into what are we watching? So, okay, fair enough. Did you want to jump into your new movie or yeah, should I just, I'll, I'll go, you always go first. So let's not really derail. Okay. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's funny that, um, it's Christmas week and I've been watching nothing Christmassy or even happy. I've been watching a lot of morbid crap. So <laughs> I can go into that really quick. Sure. Um I watched the movie The Lovely Bones for the first time this week. Um I'd oh. never seen this movie before. Um but it's a very sad but very uh beautiful film. You know, it's it's Peter Jackson and uh he just It's, it's cr- a really good movie, but yeah, it is it's a very, yeah, beautiful, sad, but beautiful is very well put. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's really what it was. And uh, I always wanted to watch this movie because I love, like, I have, I don't think I've seen every Peter Jackson movie, but all of the movies I've seen that he's directed, I've loved. And so I always wanted to see this. And it's one of those things where anytime it's been a suggestion, like in a friend group or something, somebody is just like, oh, I don't want to watch that movie. It's really sad. Or that movie's just so horrible not like quality wise but like the events that take place and i finally watched it and um he just crafted a really beautiful story um my only like kind of gripe about the movie is um essentially what the movie is is it's about this uh young girl um it takes place in the early 70s i believe and it's this young girl who gets uh murdered by um one of her neighbors, like one of the family neighbors. And that's, that's pretty like, that's revealed pretty early on. So I'm not really spoiling anything there, but you have um, this girl like in the afterlife and uh, trying to find her place in the afterlife. Like, can she move on? Does she want to uh, stay and try to uh, not necessarily keep in contact with the people that she knows and loves um, from earth, but kind of like, does she still want to witness how their lives play out. And she's grappling with that. And a lot of the afterlife scenes and sequences are shot really gorgeously. There's especially those parts of the movie have a very good quality of that sort of like every frame, a painting sort of concept. And uh, then you have in real life, you have like 
her family, especially her father and her younger sister, really take on the role of um, solving her murder, like figuring out who actually murdered uh, their daughter and what happened to her and why is she missing. And uh, my only gripe with the movie is sometimes I feel like the movie lingered a little bit too much on the afterlife stuff where I was a lot more interested in the uh, the mystery aspects. You know, I'm like, oh, no, I just want to see them solve the case. You know, like I get that, like this afterlife stuff is really beautiful and interesting, but I'm more interested in what's happening over here. So that was the only thing as I found certain parts really tedious. And uh, the way the movie ends, the way everything plays out, it's a little bittersweet because you don't necessarily see things play out the ultimate way that you want them to. If you have that sort of vengeful mindset, I feel like things are a lot less climactic than you might be hoping for. And that was another uh, aspect that I don't know if I've come to terms with yet, if that makes sense. But uh, I did like this movie overall quite a bit. And uh, that's my really cryptic review because I don't want to give anything away. But <laughs> Drew, I didn't know if you had any further comments on well, this the movie. movie came out, the movie came out uh, 19 years ago. So if you gave something away, I think it's okay. I don't know if it's quite 19. I, I think it came out in 2009. So that's like, is it? So that's like 14 years ago, I think. Is it? I, how about this? I know the book came out 19 years ago. Okay, fair enough. So, because I was working at a Borders bookstore when the book released, that's why I remember. That makes that. sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then. Uh, okay, the, the movie did come out in 2009, but. Uh, yeah, movie came out in 2009, but the book came out much earlier. So my bad for flipping it. So good call. <laughs> It's kind of like an obscure um, date to keep in mind and stuff. I honestly just knew it was 2009 because I just watched the movie. And, of course, I was like flipping through the IMDb page and saw like, oh, 2009. Um, the other thing that I watched that uh, isn't very nerdy at all. It's just kind of very I don't know if I want to say morbid, but kind of more on the dark, um, dirty road of things. I watched uh, the documentary Escaping Twin Flames on Netflix um, okay. This is a three-part documentary series, and it's essentially about a cult. So if you're into those sort of like true, true life cult sort of things, I thought this was a pretty fun little deep dive. Um, it's essentially you have um, this guy and uh, this woman he meets, and they get married, and uh, they basically start this online group of people um, who I, their online group is called like the twin flames universe. But basically what he was selling is if you join his group, if you get him belonged or if you get involved with his group, you are going to for sure find the love of your life. You are going to find your soulmate if you join his program. And just like a lot of cult stories play out, it ends up going where, this guy just wants control of people's lives. Like it's control and money. That's what he's after. And he is basically just leeching off of sad, lonely, broken people and getting them to put their money into this uh, company that he set up, as well as getting really, really controlling over their uh, personal lives in ways that I won't uh, divulge right now. But it gets pretty sinister. Some of the stuff that he uh brainwashed these people to do this is a uh 
this is a cult that's still going, which is really weird too. Like it's like a still active thing. And it's kind of like this Netflix um, documentary is kind of bringing it to light. So this one, it's kind of, if it sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. I think it is a really interesting deep dive. Uh, my biggest complaint with this one is it's three episodes. It's three hours long. I think it could have been a two hour documentary. Honestly, I feel like the first episode um, was a little slow and uh, I think they could have edited it down a little bit and would have made it feel a little bit more climactic. Cause when you do get to episode three, some of the stuff that's going on is actually insane, but I feel like it was a tedious enough of a watch that it kind of downplayed that a little. Okay. Bit. So this was good. And especially if you're into cult documentaries, check it out. But I just think they could have edited things down a little bit, but definitely really interesting if you <laughs> want to go into that sort of a, that sort of a deep dive. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but that's about it for me this week. Very, uh, very festive, jolly, Christmassy things to watch. Um, well, I continued on. I know I talked about the show for all mankind last uh, week. I know I'm behind on the curve on that one, but um, I've continued on with that and watched a few more episodes. And the show is just great. Um, they've advanced. They did a, from season one to season two. They time jumped 10 years. So they're in the 80s now. Uh, so now we're like from the standard Apollo missions, we're actually dealing with like shuttle launches and that kind of stuff. So um, okay. it's getting better and they're talking about exploration of Mars and stuff. So the, the show is like in it building along the way. But it's really what I think is cool with it being an alternate history. They I really like I'm enjoying the changes in history because you're like, oh, OK, we're here. But that's interesting that that didn't happen. OK, like, um, yeah, well, they talked about um, John Lennon getting shot and how it like that the, the it was a, a attempt at his life so in this show he's still alive you know what i mean like um so things like that it's like really kind of cool when you get that you're like okay you're there all right but it's still you know <laughs> you know it's just kind of an interesting take when you do deal with alternate histories um that's so why that shows- to the the john lennon thing um i was i didn't i hope i'm not cutting you off do they bring the uh the challenger uh Mm. explosion and do it at all or? so we haven't gotten there yet okay um if we do i'm really curious if we will um there's a character who i really really like and she's one of she's probably my favorite female character on the show there's there's several really great strong female characters in the show but she's probably my favorite um and this character gets on the shuttle for her first trip to the moon because she's been up several other times but not to the moon and this is her first to the moon trip and they're strapping her in and they're making a big deal about it going and i'm like oh my god they're gonna do the challenger with my favorite character (laughs) that that was the first thought in my mind i'm like oh no they're gonna do it right here and um (laughs) and as it takes off the and i i relaxed very quickly because of the music they chose and I was like, okay, she's going to be safe. <laughs> and my wife was like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's the music they chose. She's going to be safe. It's not going to blow up. <laughs> she's going to get up to the moon. <laughs> okay. Like it, it was the music tone was just, I mean, if it was going to be, if they were going to do the challenger right then and there, I would think there would be either tense music or no music at all. This was mm-hmm. way too happy and triumphant <laughs> for them to like something. Interesting. To you know, like I feel like we live in a day and age where you can't always trust that. that I know, concept, but it was, though. 
it was too triumphant. Okay, I, I, I hear you. I, I understand you know, that. Like, it would have been like, what was that? <laughs> you know, okay. you'd be more concerned for the filmmakers than you were, would be about the, uh, what happened on the screen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the show's been great. Um, however, the, I did watch a new movie today, and it was really cool. Um, okay. I watched I watched The Creator, um, the John David Washington uh, AI movie that released in theaters this past summer, uh, okay. late summer. I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. I kind of bummed myself out on that one. It released, I want to say, uh, late summer, early fall. So maybe September could be wrong on that. Maybe it's October, but it was like that early ish, earlier fall time period. Um, this is uh, John David Washington, who's uh, Denzel Washington's son. Uh, dealing with in a future world AI stuff with robots. Um, if you remember the trailer at all, I just think it looked really cool. Uh, lots of cool vehicles and spaceships and um, AI robots running around, and it looked like there were some cool gunfights and action sequences. Um, the movie, what really impressed me about the movie, and this movie is directed by Gareth Edwards, who directed the 2015 Godzilla film. And he directed the um, uh, Star Wars Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, that's what um, I was if, you, say. if you recognize Gareth Edwards' name, uh, this film is the world building on it was probably the most impressive part. Um, not only is it future, but they cover some of the AI stuff, like you know, robots and how they came to be and all that stuff. So like the world building, like where we would be in twenty and it's twenty fifty. 2055, I think, was the year um, where we would be on a level of AI and how robots have like heavily influenced our lives. Um, the the spaceships, the vehicles, um, the uh, the the robots themselves, but the weapon technology, the communication technology, the computer technology, everything was like the world was just built so well. Uh, it was it was one of those visions that it almost made me think that Neil Blomkamp from like District Nine or Chappie or something like that had influence on this film, but his name was not to be found in the credits. Um, but that's how it kind of felt in terms of the world building. Hmm. Um, John David Washington, when the movie starts, he's like with his wife who's pregnant, um, and he, they're like talking about, you know, the baby's coming and whatnot. They're just having, like, one of those, like, touching parent moments, like, you know, because the baby's, like, do any day now kind of thing. Like that perfect family kind of thing. And mm -hmm. uh, there's this military raid that happens where they're living. And in the midst of the raid, you find out that he is an undercover military operative trying to find the person who, um, like, the creator of the AI. Um because the AI is starting to like take over, become self, very self-aware and um, specific governments are using it where specific governments have banned it and all that stuff. So they're looking for quote unquote, the creator. Um, so things go bad, people die. John David Washington is now like, you know, F you guys, I'm you know not gonna be part of this anymore. But then suddenly they need him because the, they got new information because they blew his cover by mistake. They need him to go back in and all this stuff. Um, and then he finds this like little AI kid 
who is like directly connected to quote unquote the creator and has ability to control machines on a general level and it's hmm. it but there's a lot of really cool action sequences a lot of big set pieces a lot of like it a lot of big ideas but then there's also the danger there's also the social commentary of the danger of ai and the effect on life and all that stuff uh, the movie was really good. It is kind of lengthy, uh, but it's really good. Um, it's on Hulu right now, so that's how I watched it. Oh, tonight. nice! But um, so it's easily accessible. So that's great. Do you feel like um, I haven't seen this yet? But th- did this feel like it could be a um, like this could be a franchise moving forward, or do you think this was more of a one and done sort of thing? Well, to answer the question, I do feel like it's probably a one and done. Yeah, um, kind of like a District 9 and you move on from it. You know what I mean? Um, like we did this really cool sci-fi film and we're going to leave it at the one. However, it did make me think to myself, if I were to put together a list of the, of the AI films to watch in chronological order to show how <laughs> horrible AI can be... <laughs> What yeah. order I place those films in? Like, I definitely want you to watch the creator, but you definitely have to watch the creator before you watch Terminator. You know, because Terminator. Oh wow, okay. You know, because Terminator is in the robots from the future to the past. You know what I mean? Like, you would want to watch, like, you'd wa- maybe you'd start with Ex Machina, right? <laughs> or no, 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 right, no. right. You'd start with like Short Circuit first, okay? Skip Short Circuit too, <laughs> but you'd watch Short Circuit. Then you watch like Ex Machina because tech technology's evolved, right? Then maybe you jump from Ex Machina to the creator. Then you jump from the creator to Terminator 1. Then you do Terminator mm-hmm. 2. Maybe you do some more of the Terminators, but eventually you get to the Matrix. You know what I mean? Like yeah. telling the progress of how the machines are slowly taking over. I don't know. Um, just a thought. But yeah, um, I, I really like that. I think you'll I think you'll really enjoy the movie. So definitely check it out. That's awesome. Yeah. And then as we close these microphones, we will be strapping in for Rebel Moon. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for it. The critics are panning it, but the critics, they can say what they want. And Rotten Tomatoes has horrible scores. But as we've recently found out, those scores on Rotten Tomatoes have been rigged. And we talked about that like probably maybe a month, month and a half ago. I don't remember what episode that is, but we did discuss it that we found out that the Rotten Tomatoes scores were rigged and paid for reviews to change the scores on Rotten Tomatoes. So that there's being like said, there's a couple things that could be going on with that, though, because it could be that the critics are right on Rotten Tomatoes and that the movie sure. is really bad. It could be that they're sort of review bombing it because it's Zack Snyder. And I guess right. that was kind of what I was thinking. Like, is it Zack Snyder has such a stigma to him and people can't separate the stigma of Zack Snyder from like the actual movie that they're watching? You know, like Zack Snyder could make the greatest movie ever made and some people would still hate it. So I think there's a little bit of you just have to take a little bit of like a grain of salt when you're looking at these reviews. I think this is one where you're going to have to watch it yourself and you're going to have to actually 
decide for yourself what you think of the movie. And I know that's a crazy concept for people nowadays, <laughs> nowadays but I think that's how you're going to have to pr- approach this one. <laughs> I, I agree. I actually, I was asking my wife if she wanted to watch it with me, and she didn't know what I was talking about. So I explained the whole thing about how this is supposed to be a Star This was originally supposed yeah. to be a Star Wars film, and because of what happened with the Snyder Cut, it's not, but he decided to make the movie anyway, blah, blah, blah. Right? So... um I tell her all this. She watches the trailer and goes, mm, I'm OK. You watch it. and Let me know. That's fair. I'm OK. If she says it's not her speed and she's a little, little bit more, that's a for you thing. Let me know what you think. There's yeah. a chance I'm turning around saying, no, 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 you really should watch this. But I asked her what her issue is. And she goes, it looks too much like Star Wars, which made me laugh because it was supposed to be that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I don't know if that's a valid complaint, but. Um, we shall see. I'm I'm excited for it. So I look forward to watching that on Friday. Um, but yeah, other than that, that's my watching for the week. Um, and my reading has been straight Dungeons and Dragons stuff because I've been prepping something. So nice. Anyway. Um, but yeah, you want to jump over to the news? Yep. Yeah, let's go for it. Got some stuff. Um, OK. Um, James Cameron confirms Avatar 3 is on track for its December 19th, 2025 release date, teasing they've already finished filming parts of Avatar 4. (laughs) That's Um, actually, I think that's good news. It is good news. It's refreshing to know they're on track for stuff, but it's also interesting to hear that they have, um, uh, it's also interesting to know, or it's it's not interesting. It is nice to know that we're not going to wait 10 years for the next one. Exactly. That's that's why the first two movies took were going on the decade, like each movie as far as production goes. So that's awesome that we're getting it sooner. And uh, I'm curious to see if, you know, part three is going to be as good as part two was, you know. Yeah. Um, Let me see here. I think I have this story in here three times. Hold on a second. Well, no. (laughs) Yep. I literally saved it three times. So that reduces the number of. Uh, <laughs> that reduces the number of stories we have to discuss. Uh, jumping over to uh, the DC side of the coin, um, James Gunn says that Matt Reeves, so as in Matt Reeves who directed The Batman and is and also is producing The Penguin Show for HBO, says Matt Reeves is producing an Arkham show, um, which sounds fantastic. Like that just sounds yeah, that's like awesome. Brainer. Um, which brings me to my complaint uh, that I've always had is when are we getting the Batman show? Um, let's be real. Um, where's my Batman live action Batman TV show? But um, they're going to do an Arkham show. Now, that automatically makes me think of the Arkham, the Grant Morrison Arkham Asylum comic. Now, I can see them heavily pulling from that. They don't have to, but I can see them doing it, which I think would be a good idea for that specific tone for what Matt Reeves was trying to do with the Batman. Um, So I think it'd be really cool, but we shall see. The part that makes me baffled a little bit is that James Gunn reveals that Matt Reeves' Arkham Asylum series will actually be part of the new DCU, not set in the Reeves' Batverse. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not get, like... I know we don't want to be too confusing, but Matt Reeves did the Batman and then he's going to do the Penguin show. And now he's going to do an Arkham show, which isn't connected to those, the Batman or the Penguin. It's going to be connected to James Gunn's thing. I'm only bothered by that because as a comic book fan, I can keep up with that. 
as someone who does this show where we heavily dissect movies and news and stuff, I can get behind it. As an average moviegoer who doesn't, that could be very confusing to someone, I think, when they try and piece stuff together. So I don't know if you thoughts on that, but that's that's my that's my only problem is the confusing part. <laughs> I feel like I pay a good amount of, te- of attention to the DC movies and I'm starting to get confused by it because I don't know. So the Robert Pattinson Batman from the Matt Reeves movie, is he going to make an appearance in this uh, Arkham Asylum show? And that's- if he does, is he part of the James Gunn DCU? And if he doesn't, is there another Batman who's going to be present from the DCU? And then if Robert Pattinson is in this uh, is in this Arkham Asylum show, and I'm pretty sure uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is part of the DCU, correct? So then it kind of that's kind of a weird thing that negates the uh, Ben Affleck version of Batman, as well as I'm assuming the Jared Leto Joker, like the way that every, like all the uh, wires are being crossed, it doesn't really make sense. And I don't know if James Gunn is just picking and choosing the things he likes and he's putting it all into like a little basket and saying, this is my universe, but there's all these weird loose threads from all these, uh, these other movies that just aren't being included. And is it one of those things where when everything's said and done, HBO Max is just going to have like, here's the DCU and we're excluding all these random movies that technically are connected, but we're just going to say they're not. So you just go to the streaming service and that's just what you see is like, this is the DCU. You know, we kind of uh, decided to just like, cut some random movies off and throw them uh, in the trash because these are the ones we're keeping. Like, it's a really weird situation, and I don't know how to make sense of it all. <laughs> I I agree. I don't know how to make... Like, I'm trying to. I, I really am. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that we need to try and make sense of that's getting confusing is Jonathan Majors, who plays Kang in the Marvel... Um, cinematic universe the mcu yeah um he was originally um charged with uh sexual assault and harassment and all that stuff um he's officially been found guilty so marvel has dropped jonathan majors completely and he will no longer have a role in the mcu so what does that do for kang well the jury is still out on what that does for Kang. The jury is still out on what that means for the franchise, the upcoming movie, Avengers, Kang Dynasty, all that stuff. What is the actual plan? Well, what I do know is that Avengers, Kang, the Kang Dynasty has now been retitled as Avengers 5 until a decision has been made. So what we do know is Jonathan Majors is no longer playing Kang. So the little bit of Kang we did get, we got, and we hope we can just enjoy it for what it is. So now we are moving to Avengers 5, whatever that might be. (laughs) I think the official title for that movie should be Avengers 5, unofficial Venom, let there be carnage sequel. (laughs) Well, (laughs) because, because it's, um secret wars that we're moving into i really and i and i'm not kidding when i say this and i know marvel i know you're listening you so i'm gonna let you steal this but i really think it should be titled avengers doom 
Yeah, that'd be awesome. And leave it at that. And just let let the fans. It's kind of like Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and we all lost our minds because we knew it was coming. Title it Avengers Doom, and I mean, yeah, you can do Doom earlier, but that specific movie will be the team up that'll lead to Avengers: Secret Wars because Doom is so heavily involved in the Secret Wars story. Whether you're looking at on all the comic scales, so just my two cents. I do think there I do think there is some stuff they could do, like if they don't want to drop the Kang storyline completely, like they could re recast, which that could be clunky. But you never know, like maybe they have in the storyline, like Kang gets uh, disfigured somehow and then he becomes like less recognizable. And that might be a way to recast him without it being too jarring. Or they could always do the old trick where you have like some other villain kills Kang off and then takes over what he's trying to do. And then they just have like their pick of like which villain in the MCU do we want to use to replace him. So I I think there are some things they can do that's probably not that hard. It's just playing it off in a way that's believable and not too clunky or jarring for the audience. But uh, yeah, this is a really, this is a really weird, they're just in a weird state overall, I think. They are. Um, They are, but yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But here's someone who's not in a weird state, finally. Um, Henry Cavill has recently announced that he's trying to do a War- Warhammer 40K cinematic universe. Um, right, okay. He's such a massive Warhammer 40K fan. Now, my I worked in a game store that sold the Games Workshop products for Warhammer. Um, I always thought they were cool. Um, I... When I say I dabbled in the game, I played very little, but I have several of the miniatures because I thought they were awesome. Um, and a lot of the fantasy ones, 40K, Warhammer 40K is futuristic science fiction, and Warhammer by itself is fantasy. Um, a lot of my fantasy or Warhammer figures that could be repurposed, I've repurposed them and I use them for my D&D games all the time. So I they get a lot of use, but, you know. Um, anyway, the reason I bring this whole thing up is it's now properly rolling. A year after Amazon Studios announced his plan to start a universe of Warhammer programming produced by and starring Henry Cavill, Games Workshop has confirmed it has signed a full agreement contract with Amazon, and the next stage can now begin. Nice. So that is fantastic news, and I look forward to it because that is like dark, gritty science fiction. Um, it's like galaxies at war with each other, aliens and space Marines. And like, there's, there's some really cool stuff and the lore is incredibly rich and deep. Um, and in my opinion, it could, there's times that it could get very hard to keep track of. However, like, um, if they do it right, they could really like make it at this really fantastic series. So I look forward to this completely. So, yeah. Yeah, this will be awesome. It's going to be awesome to see how they uh, portray like the uh, characters armor and like some of the aliens and monsters and all those aspects. And are there going to be practical effects? Is it all going to be CGI? But I think at the end of the day, I just think Henry Cavill is like a big enough, like burly looking dude that he would look pretty, pretty badass wearing that, like, you know, Space Marine armor (laughs) from Warhammer 40K. So, uh Yeah, this this will be cool if it's uh, if it's successful, you know. And aside from the Master Chief, the Warhammer guys are allowed to take their helmets off. 
So it'll be cool. <laughs> right uh, on. <laughs> um, all right. Um, did you watch the One Piece live action show yet? I still haven't watched it. Okay. I still think it's fantastic. <laughs> it's such a good representation. And I dabbled yeah. with a large amount of the anime at this point, um, which has been fun, which has been a lot of fun for what I've seen. And I honestly can't wait for the live action season two. Um, however, the One Piece anime is now getting a remake. Yes, I heard about this. Yeah, st- <laughs> uh, starting from the East Blue Saga, it has been announced by Netflix, with a production handled by original Attack on Titan and um, Vinland Saga Studio. Um, I wonder why. I really do. Um, I know there's like hundred, there's like thousands of episodes of this show, but I wonder why they're doing a straight remake of the anime when they're doing the live action show as well. Um, I'm kind of curious to see the uh, animation they turn out uh, more than anything. Um, my only complaint about the anime is that there are some anime, like, for example, um, uh, Castlevania has a very serious tone to it, right? It's yeah. got a very serious tone, so the, an- the animation is very serious. Um, Sword Art Online is a very... Um, anime looking show in terms of classic anime art but it's the serious show so they don't like they don't they very very rarely when i say very rarely it is like once in a blue moon they will over exaggerate a face to show an emotion but for the most part it's a very serious well done like anime show in terms of like production where one piece not that they're not trying to be serious but they sometimes play to the comedy and they let the over-exaggerations play to the comedy sometimes in the early episodes. And it's a different and it creates a different style of animation. My only my only personal issue with that is that's not my cup of tea, really. And I'm and as I've watched the anime, I've just been like, look past that and enjoy the story for what it is. You know? Yeah. So I wonder if this remake is meant to be that kind of a remake, because when they say the Attack on Titan studio um, that's a very serious show in terms of yeah. the animation, and they don't play around with the over-exaggerations of um, uh, facial expressions and reactions and stuff. So, um, uh, Vinland Saga is that way too. Like, it's a really serious, like, uh, sort of like dark fantasy story. But um, I, so I'm kind of on the opposite side of the coin, where I actually do like the weird, the weird, cartoony, exaggerated uh, anime stuff, but. I feel like that's kind of a big part of One Piece, though. Like, I haven't read a lot of the manga. I haven't really watched the anime, but I feel like that's such a part of the show. So then I wonder, like, would they take that out and make it more of a straightforward, like, more, like, realistic, in quotes, representation of the story? So that will be really interesting to see. Um, The most baffling thing, in my opinion, about this news, and I didn't even notice this. It was actually a friend of mine pointed this out um, online was that isn't the the original One Piece anime series still going? <laughs> so, like, I know there's, like, yes, 800 episodes of it or something, but it's really weird to have a reboot while the original series is still going. <laughs> and I don't really know what to think of that, but that's just the world we live in nowadays. <laughs> it is the world we live in, and to answer your question, yes, it is. <laughs> So, yes, I don't I don't know how to I don't know what to think of it either. Um, All right. 
final news story of the night, and this has me a little concerned and a lot of questions in the air. I saw this today. Um, Warner Brothers and Paramount Heads meet for possible merger. Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav and Paramount Global CEO Bob Backish had a meeting this week to discuss the possibility of a merger between the companies. A deal, if it comes to fruition, would bring together two of the entertainment industry's biggest players and WDBD owning the Warner Brothers films and TV studio HBO and the former Turner and Discovery Cable channels. It also operates the Max streaming service. So basically what would happen is, is Paramount Plus and Max would merge as one platform. Yeah. So Max, HBO, Discovery, and all that stuff, and then Paramount Plus, which is all the Paramount stuff, including um, Showtime, would be one platform. Now, what has me bothered by this is price increases. Where do I get the stuff I want to watch? But because of what Disney's done on their side with Hulu and Disney Plus and building into uh, trying to make a, a single platform... And then you have these other companies trying to make a single platform. You're literally going to have Disney Plus, whatever this new thing is, if it happens, and Amazon, and that is it. <laughs> oh, yeah, throw in Netflix. Yeah. But that is like yeah. it. Like, sorry, those four, and you're done. Like, there won't be – it's like the streaming wars are coming down to, like, four channels. But the price hike is what concerns me. And that comes back to the physical media that we talked about, blah, blah, blah. So, um yeah, streaming wars continues. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm concerned about the price hike too. Um, part of me wonders if um, if we live we live in such of an such an age of like there's just infinite amounts of TV shows and movies and specials and miniseries. There's so much stuff you can watch, and I feel like you go to work or you talk to your friend or your neighbor, and everybody's watching different stuff. Like there's no sort of uh, monoculture nowadays if you will and it makes me wonder if like everything eventually is going to go down to like three or four streaming services is that a bad thing or is it a good thing because it means we're going to start watching a lot more of the same shows you know like maybe you just have warner brothers and netflix and maybe your friend has disney and prime or whatever and so maybe you have you're still getting different sources of your shows but it makes me wonder how this is going to play out and is are we going to see like a weird like dc versus marvel rivalry between like hbo and uh disney like i feel like that should have already been going on but I don't know. I, I wonder how this is going to play out and whether this is a good or a bad thing, because I could see both sides of the coin, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. And time will only tell. And it's a, and my concern is that it won't happen because someone will look at it as a monopoly or there'll be some crazy um, like Wall Street thing that we don't know about that will block it. You know, like that happened when uh, Disney wanted to buy Fox. They had to double check everything. Uh, the CEO, the the Warner Brothers Discovery merger, they had to check to make sure they didn't block any. Like they weren't being blocked by some weird like loophole law. So there's going to be a lot of lawyers involved in that and stuff. But um, but hey, that I don't I mean, that could make some things easier to obtain, too. Where you're like, hey, have you ever watched the show? Well, it's now on this. So feel free to watch it, you know, so. True. Yeah. 
True. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, that brings us to the end of the news. Um, it is the end of the year, so there's not much to talk about in this coming week. But um, you want to move over to the next list? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right. We're going to talk about the list. So we're going to roll the thing and be right back. for the top five right well like i said at the beginning of the episode everyone merry christmas and um this is our last uh list for the year 2023 we'll be rolling into a new year with all new lists and see what adventures peter and i have um but because it is christmas and this episode will actually drop on Christmas Day. So if you have any road plans, driving to Grandma's house, driving to a crazy aunt's house or something like that to celebrate the holidays, or even if just even if you're not and you just need something to listen to while you're uh, cleaning up, at, cleaning the garbage up from the presents and the uh, wrapping paper all over the floor, something to listen to. Um, Peter and I thought tonight we needed to talk about something Christmassy, right? So we <laughs> thought for fun, let's talk about Christmas villains. Now, as I put the list together, um, I realized that this could be this could be taken in several different ways, and you can look at it from all different angles. I tried to stick to movies and pop culture <laughs> when I was doing my list, um, as opposed That's to funny. as opposed to biblical, um, because I was like, wow, this could go in a lot of different directions. Just saying Christmas villains. <laughs> I think all of mine are movies, um, but that's actually really funny. Um, there is a lot of different angles you can go to. And I love how there's a, there's so many Christmas based horror movies that you could have a list of nothing but slasher villains, which is pretty awesome because uh, I don't know. I love like that. Uh, you know, you have your jolly, cheerful Christmas list and you're just talking about a bunch of characters that run around. <laughs> killing people uh my list isn't that but uh, i do think that's pretty funny um yeah i don't know th this one was an interesting one to put together i feel like there's some very quintessential christmas villains that i didn't keep on my list and that's just because certain villains are kind of actually the main character in the story and a lot of these christmas stories are very redemption based and i kind of excluded those characters and that's probably my vaguest way of uh putting that without uh you know uh spoiling any leads there but uh i don't know what your thoughts were as you put this together drew or if you had any yeah general thoughts about the list my list was that i felt like it was shorter than it should be like when you google christmas villains it's a shorter yes, exactly. list than you'd, it's a shorter list than you'd expect to pull up so peter and i are probably going to match a whole bunch tonight um uh, but maybe we don't. You'll see what happens. Um, so, yeah, well, you know, like that's that was my big thing with it. But like I said, I tried to stick with the pop culture aspect <laughs> um, instead of uh, going off into some of the uh, like you can go off into like the biblical and all that stuff and mythological. But then you're arguing over, you know, different beliefs and faiths and stuff. And I really didn't want to if you touch on that, then. You can end up I just didn't want to offend anybody or leave something out or something like that. So I thought it would just be better to just stick with the pop culture things, which I think you and I were thinking originally anyway, when we said, let's do that for Christmas. Um, <laughs> I think I think we're uh, 
pop culture show and we don't tend to get into religion or politics and stuff like that. So <laughs> if you do want to hear like your favorite biblical Christian villains, there's probably another podcast for that. <laughs> probably, probably leave that at that. <laughs> probably is. Now, um, if I do this right, it would have been fine, Peter. Ooh, I guess I have to go first, don't I? Yep, I have to go first. That's um, what I was thinking to see. I have to go first because next week you're going to have to go first. So it actually kind of works out that way. So do you have honorable mentions? I, I guess do. I a... have two honorable mentions. How okay. You? Okay, cool. Yeah, same. Okay. I almost didn't. And then I was like, no, I will. Um, all right. So my first honorable mention is the penguin. Um, Ooh, that's uh, a good from, call. From Batman Returns. Um, he, his whole mission, if you go, if you watch Batman Returns, so first off, we have to discuss ourselves. What is a Christmas movie? We have to have that conversation. And if you solely base it on the fact that it takes place at Christmas, you know, because mm -hmm. when you put into perspective what's a Christmas movie and you think to yourself, is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? Well, it does take place at Christmas and they talk about Christmas quite a bit. But if you think about it and say Die Hard's not, then technically I could say every Hallmark Christmas movie is not a Christmas film because it takes place at Christmas, but it's usually about saving the ranch or the crazy ants bait pie baking contest or the uh, children's choir needs a charity something. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's not about Christmas. So but if they take place at Christmas. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's a so, stretch, too. I feel like no. so many movies are about the. Uh, over overworked uh, workaholic lady who uh, rediscovers her love of Christmas because some guy she meets or something. So I think yeah. there's a little bit of right. give and take. The there. reason I'm over the only, the reason I'm do, the reason I'm bringing that up is because if you're gonna drag uh, Die Hard down, I'm gonna drag down Hallmark because I got gotcha. same points you're giving me. So that being said, Batman Returns takes place during Christmas. It's very clear it's during Christmas, um, and the Penguin's plot was to kill children at Christmas. <laughs> um, I, believe it's, I believe it's the Christmas Eve party, Max Shrek's Christmas Eve party, and all the kids get kidnapped by Penguin Circus Gang and dragged into the sewer, but Batman thwarts the plan and then goes and fights the Penguin. But what a dark, dark uh, thing for a villain to do at Christmas. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a good call, and I think it's easy to watch that movie and not realize how dark it is. But I love that. Uh, and that had a hop, that had a um, happy meal attached to it. <laughs> That's true too. But uh, I've heard people talk about how um, Tim Burton was more influenced by the uh, '60s uh, Adam West Batman series than he was by the comic books. And uh, I know, like, I've heard about how the penguin running for mayor um, in Batman Returns, that was like a plot lifted directly out of the uh, 66 Batman series. And uh, I think it's really amazing to have like that bright pop art sort of uh, Adam West Batman influencing the dark, demented, yet fantastical uh, Tim Burton Batman movies. But uh, yeah, good call with this one. I didn't think of this one, but this is uh, definitely a great Christmas villain to uh, bring up. Yeah. All right, man. What's your first honorable mention? Yeah. So the first one I went with, I don't know if this counts because this is a pair of individuals that feel like villains, 
But when you when you really think about it, I don't know that they really are because I went with uh, Todd and Margot, who are the next door neighbors in <laughs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, <laughs> and they're basically the butt end of a lot of jokes. There's a lot of slapstick comedy at their expense, and uh, the whole time, like they're played up as this like really snobby, hoity-toity couple who's scoffing at everything that Clark and the Griswold family does. But when you really think about the events of the film, I feel like Clark might be more of a villain to them than they are to him. You know, like they might be they might appear snobby and, you know, stick their nose up to uh, the things that the next door neighbor family is doing. But Clark's the one who's threatening them with chainsaws (laughs) and sending, uh, you know, uh, icicles flying through their windows to destroy their sound system and stuff like that. But a massive amount of lights and then, you know, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) But I I do love this pair of uh, I do love this couple from a comedic standpoint. So I had to bring them up and I do think the movie plays them off as villains. But uh, I don't know if they really are. I think that debate's still up for grabs. Well, when you Google Christmas villains, Clark Griswold is the one that's listed for that film. Um, as opposed, and I don't to, know about that either. You yeah, know, I, I don't know if I agree with that. But I just, God, I, why is the carpet wet, Todd? I don't know, Margot. Like it's just, I love that scene, man. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's the way he says it. Like it's the, it's the, it's not just the, it's not just the tone in his voice, but it's the inflection and the way he moves his body and stuff to say, I don't know, Margot. Absolutely love it. It kills me every time. Anyway, absolutely. Um, so. My next honorable mention, and this was, yeah, I'm going to, I'm actually going to renege on my list and I'm going to flip them. Um, I'm going to take my, one of my, my honorable mention and move it into my list and move one down. Uh, but I'm going to go with the gremlins. Nice. Uh, as an honorable mention, or maybe stripe gremlin <laughs> is probably the way to go, but the gremlins in general, uh, that, that first movie is a Christmas movie and they just ruined Christmas, didn't they? <laughs> so... Yeah, this is this is a good call. This is a classic call. Um, I feel like the Gremlins is kind of a timeless um, Christmas villain because of how good the movie is and how solid those practical effects are and just like how iconic like everybody remembers the Gremlins so well. So, uh, yeah, good call with this one. Yeah, Yeah. All right, man. What's your on next one? Okay, so my next one, um, I feel like may, might be a little off the beaten path, but I went with uh, the character's name is Myron Larrabee, and this is uh, Sinbad's character in Jingle All the Way. And uh, this is a character who I love because he starts out as, you know, Jingle All the Way, it's about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is trying to get a tur- Turbo Man action figure for his son. And he doesn't go out go out to buy it until Christmas Eve. And he didn't realize the toy was that high in demand. And then hijinks could ensue as he spends the entire day trying to secure this super rare Turbo Man doll. So Myron Larrabee is a uh, he's a post post office worker who is delivering mail. But in the midst of his workday, he as well is trying to find a, tu- a Turbo Man doll for his kid. And I love this character because he starts out as just kind of like this eccentric mailman who tries to team up with Arnold. He's like, come on, you know, me and you will work together. We'll scout it out. We'll both find a Turbo Man doll. And then, you know, as these sort of relationships go, 
at one point, I think Arnold has to sort of uh, kick him to the t- curb, stack, stab him, him in the back. You know, Arnold has to try to get the tur- get a Turbo Man doll away from him. And then things go south. Like Myron ends up being becoming like a villain of the story because he starts working against Arnold. And there's tons of just hilarious um, hijinks from there that go out, go through the whole story. But I love how by the end of the movie, you have this big Christmas uh, parade in the city and you have, you know, a series of events causes Arnold to be dressed up as Turbo Man appearing in the parade, because it's one of those things where he stumbles into the act, the actual Turbo Man actor's uh, dressing room. So Arnold is in the parade as the real Turbo Man. And uh, of course, Myron <laughs> shows up and I don't know how he got the costume, but he shows up uh, dressed up as a Dementor, who is Turbo Man's arch enemy. And you get this really fun, ridiculous uh, superhero fight scene that plays out but i don't know what it is uh this movie is really silly but sinbad's performance in this movie always cracks me up like just his facial expressions um a lot of his one-liners in the movie are so funny there's this part at the uh at the end of the film that last fight scene and it's this part where you know you have arnold and sinbad are fighting each other and there's this one part where sinbad like lands on the ground and i can't remember what it is but there's a bunch of uh debris or something that's about to fall on him and he's just looking up at like the stuff falling down that's about to hit him and he just gets this smile on his face (laughs) it's just a smile of like oh crap i screwed up i'm dead (laughs) and it's like you have to see it but it was so well played and i think it's just the joy i get from watching his performance in this movie is why i picked this one but also this is kind of like a uh, undersung sort of a super villain role that people don't always think of so i thought i'd bring it up as well so yeah no good call on this one i honestly because of the subject matter like when this one came up when i was googling the subject matter in this one because it's two dads just trying to get a toy i'm like who's the actual villain in this and i'm like is capitalism the villain i don't know if that counts and i There's uh, the other I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays uh, Arnold's next door neighbor is also a really good villain from this movie. Um, I can't remember. Is it? uh, I think it's the guy I can't remember the actor's name, but I think it's the guy who voices uh, Troy McClure on The Simpsons. And he's like really, really funny in this movie as well. But uh, Mm, yeah, either either of those would be good choices from this movie. So, Uh, but yeah, what do you got next? All right. So my next one, and I'm going to get this one out of the way right now um, because he just happens to be a villain on Christmas, but I love the movie and we don't need to talk too much farther about it, but that's Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Oh, classic. Yeah. Just it's, he just happens to be a villain on Christmas. That could have happened any day of the year. So instead of arguing over the Die Hard nonsense, Hans Gruber. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, good good call. I, sure I had a feeling match this on was this gonna... one, but... No, we what? didn't actually match. I had a feeling this was going to show up, but um, yeah, I guess I'm surprised you don't have a lot to say, but we've also talked so much about Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. Like you, I don't know what there is. If to you were say. to listen to the show... Die Hard is clearly our favorite movie. <laughs> so, you know, that's why I was like, I don't know what else to like. Do we really need to add anything to this? You know, so. Nice. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, good call. I guess I can hop into my first uh, actual pick then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this one could be pretty easy because I actually went with uh, gr- the Gremlins as well. Uh, nice. And I did I did write down Stripe because he's essentially like the leader of the Gremlins. But I really like them all. Like, uh, I don't know. The the other one that I always liked is the one that the really goofy one with the googly eyes and stuff. But when you, when it comes down to it, when you're talking Christmas villains, you got to go with Stripe. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah no i hear you and that's that's the way you go with it so um but yeah so all right cool good good on you on that one all right so my next one is um going another tim burton route and i'm going with oogie boogie classic um, from nightmare before christmas now in terms of christmas villains this one was interesting because i'm like who is the villain of Nightmare Before Christmas, and in, in, a, in an interesting way, it is Jack Skellington because he wants to have Christmas for himself. But when you really look at it, is he was just looking for something new, got excited about the holiday. So what he was doing wasn't necessarily wrong. He just went about it in the, the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and Oogie Boogie literally looked at this as a threat legitimately tortures Santa Claus, sends lock, stock and barrel to go actually kill Santa Claus. Um, like, so, and you get that really cool, let's go kill Santa Claus song, which is probably one of the more, is, is one of my favorite songs from the movie, but it is literally like, here's a guy specifically trying to kill Santa. <laughs> so. Absolutely. This is one where I remember this came up last week and I was like, is, um, uh, is Oogie Boogie, like, is he considered a Christmas villain? Is he a Halloween villain? But when it comes down to it, he is the one who, you know, kidnapped and held Santa Claus captive. And he has, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Lock, Shock, and Barrel as his, uh, as his like, underlings and stuff. And uh, definitely a great character. Definitely really great character design. Um, it's one of those things whenever, you don't see it often, but whenever you see oogie boogie on a t-shirt or an action figure or something it always brings a smile to my face uh this is this is a really good call with this one and uh jack skellington is one of those christmas characters who i don't know that i consider him a villain i think he's more of a uh he had to learn a life life lesson you know he let his enthusiasm for this new christmas concept get the best of him and he did become a villain in a sense but he ended up becoming a hero in the end and uh those are the kinds of characters that i kind of stuck away from this with this list like i tried to go on with go or keep my list limited to like just full-on villains so uh yeah but uh good stuff all right well that brings it to your pick so yeah so this one i could this one keeping it in the realm like you were saying like what do you got yeah (laughs) so this one well this is a character who actually does have a redemption but uh I went with uh, Bumble, the abominable snow monster of the north from uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the classic uh, Rankin-Bass cartoon. And uh, this is a character who doesn't have like a lot of crazy concepts. He's just kind of this abominable snow monster that worked as a good uh, antagonist within the film of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But the reason I picked this one is this is one of the first things I think of when it comes to Christmas villains. Thinking about this character, it really um, takes me back to my childhood and watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And uh, when you finally get to see the abominable snow monster and just being so excited because you you just want to see the part with the monster because that's the cool part. And uh, that's just what I wanted to see in this movie. And it's another one like 
he's iconic. You still see him used in memes to this day. <laughs> Sometimes those memes are making fun of Vince Neil from Motley Crue, but we don't have to go there. But uh, no, this is just a great character uh, that always brings a smile to my face. And I just thought this one had to be brought up within the list, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I so when this one popped, this was another one where I I was trying I was struggling with him being the villain. Yes. Um, because, yeah, they're like cruising along in the Arctic. Is it the Arctic? I guess it would be the Arctic because it'd be the North Pole. And <laughs> they're they're in the Arctic. And all of a sudden there's an abominable snowman. Sure. Of course. there is. And he's a bad guy for a minute, but like they escape him and then he comes back and all that stuff. But yeah, he's not like trying to ruin the plans he's just doing what abominable snowmans do and then you find out that he's a nice snowman when they uh when the dentist gets to work help him out <laughs> you know so i was like is he a villain i really don't know well, who the villain of that series <laughs> is well how about this of the first film the first short or like episode yeah. or however you want to word it the rudolph the red-nosed reindeer that one for sure but when you get to the farther ones you're dealing with jack frost and like the evil Santa Claus and all that stuff. Yes, there are definitely villains for sure. So, so to so to be fair, the uh, the elf who wants to be a dentist, I can't remember his name, but he so like Bumble is a, a the abominable snow monster. Bumble is enough of a presence within this movie that I feel like he is a villain because he does. They do have like a quick skirmish with him like halfway through the film, but then he does come in at the end where he captures a number of people from the North Pole and they do have to rescue these people away from the snow monster. But it's not until this uh, elf who wants to be a dentist removes his teeth (laughs) that he actually becomes a nice snow monster. And at that point, you're like you're like declawing a cat. Like, I don't know if it's. I don't know if I feel like his intentions are necessarily that good. And I think it's really the first movie uh, that he's considered like a villain. And then from there on, he does become more of a nice snow monster. But I think for that first Rudolph movie, I think he counts enough to uh, count. But I know what you mean, because it's like, is the, um, you know, is the brain dead monster in the woods? Is that a villain or is it just a, creature following its animal instincts you know it's like how do you answer that question yeah 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 um all right so this rolls back to me all right i'm going with and i and i feel like this should technically be saved to the end but when i think about like my final three picks of the night i feel like i should save the other two so i'm gonna go with krampus um nice the the anti-santa claus if you will Um, and Krampus is exactly how it sounds. It is the evil Santa Claus that will come instead of leaving you. So Santa may leave you cold, but this is Krampus going, if you're not being a good person, I'm going to come and bring you into the hellish nightmare that I've created (laughs) Christmas. And I will say this. Um, I didn't know what to expect when I watched the movie, aside from it being like an evil Christmas movie and demons and stuff. The movie was fantastic. Like, it was really good. I was surprised yeah. at how good the movie actually was. The um, I had so much fun watching it in terms of just, it's legitimately a Christmas movie. And then when the toys are coming to life and killing people and stuff like that, and the reasons why and all that stuff, because they're legitimately horrible people. And you're like, this is the lesson you learn for being like this. Like it was, it was a really actually good movie. And in terms of a horror movie, I didn't find it so much a horror movie as it was like this, like 
action adventure like mythological yeah, Christmas yeah. film, if you will. Um, the Jack in the Box is probably the most uh, horrific of the toys that comes to life and kills somebody. That's the one that really got me because that was the one that I had trouble with in terms of like, ooh, that was got me squeaming a little bit. <laughs> um, but then again, the um, but then you had uh, but then with the end of the movie, when you the when they really mess with your mind and twist it on you and you find out where they really were the whole time. Like yeah, that yeah. in my mind, that was like, Oh my gosh, it, it was so brilliant. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was, and, but, and then on top of Krampus, sorry to go a little bit longer, but, um, the, uh, how, how do I want to word it? The art design, not just for the, all the villains and all the toys coming to life, but the art design for Krampus himself and all that stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Just really cool. So, um, yeah, the, the Jack in the Box was definitely, like, the creepiest out of all the uh, sort of possessed toys in that movie. The uh, the gingerbread men were probably the funniest, but also the coolest. Um, Krampus as a whole, I think they had they did such a good job of giving this creature, like, so much presence. Like, it just had this, like, iconic... Krampus had this iconic shape to him, this iconic silhouette... It's one of those things when you first see it, it's so um, engrossing just how unique it feels and stuff like that. My only complaint about the appearance of Krampus is I do think they could have done a little bit better on the facial prosthetics because when it comes down to it in the movie, Krampus kind of just had this sort of like demonic Santa Claus face and the mouth just kind of hung open and he had like a CG tongue coming out all over the place. I feel like they could have given us a moving mouth and maybe gotten a little more um, sophisticated with the prosthetics, but it still was pretty was pretty awesome. That's just me being like kind of a special effects nitpicker. Um I guess I can stop bearing the lead. We did match on this. I did pick Krampus uh, for my list, which I guess I would I would go with the one from the movie. But I think Krampus as a concept is really interesting. And I think it's not until like the Internet was like super widespread and uh, people were on smartphones and stuff that people realized that Krampus is a thing. You know, like growing up, I never knew that there was this like and I don't know if Krampus is like originates from German Germany or like somewhere in Europe, but I never knew that there was like this crazy demonic anti Santa like half the world away that everybody believed in. And it was something it was like in the 2010s that I heard of this concept and I was like, this is so freaking badass. Why don't we ever talk about this over here in America? And uh, no, it's a great character. Um, and yeah, that's, I don't know if there's too much to say. I feel like we've kind of said it all at this point, you know? <laughs> yes. Everybody go watch Krampus. <laughs> if you're going to do one thing this Christmas, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, I guess that goes back to me. Um, and I can't talk about anything tonight without discussing the Wet Bandits. Classic. Uh, yes. Um, who, Wet Bandits, Sticky Bandits, however you want to talk about it, um, you know, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. And by the way, if you're 36 years old this year, that means you're as old as Daniel Stern in um, Home Alone. Uh, that is so funny. <laughs> so um, that being said, uh, The Wet Bandits, um, absolutely classic film, Home Alone, uh, classic gags, classic pranks. Like they're they're 
literally their goal is to just rob houses on Christmas while everyone's on vacation. And unfortunately, they have to deal with Kevin McAllister. Um, yeah, great stuff. Um, I noticed I was watching and I, I know I've noticed this before, but I don't like it really like. It really like caught my attention this year. I was doing something in the house. Uh, this was probably like the week, uh, like a week or so ago, and it was just on, so I had it on for background noise. And I stopped to look at the screen. And it was Home Alone two, and in the first film, um, Daniel Stern goes in the back door, and Joe Pesci goes to the front door. And Joe Pesci deals with specific traps, and then Daniel mm-hmm. Stern deals with specific traps, and then they kind of flip flop, right? In uh, Home Alone 2, Joe Pesci goes around to the back door and um, Daniel Stern goes through the front door and it's the same traps just flipped as if he knew they were going to reverse. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all turned up to 11 for sure, but it's like the same traps. It's really interesting. Um, I was like that. And it's just that's a writing thing. That's a production design thing. Like, yeah, so. Anyway. I think, oh, okay, so the second movie definitely has sequelitis, and I think you're pointing that out really well with the whole thing, like, where it's like, oh, it's the second movie in the series, we have to do all the exact same things in the first movie, just either slightly different or, you know, turned up a notch, and I think the second movie definitely has that. The problem is the supporting cast from uh, Home Alone 2 is so good, and so funny that I just I can't help but love that movie for any flaws that it has. You have like Rob Schneider and Tim Duncan as like the people working at the hotel and they are so hysterical in the movie. And then you have Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern coming back and they're hilarious, too. And like the cast and the the jokes in the second movie are so good that I can't help but love it, even though I feel like the first movie is what sort of. um you know, what captured everybody's imagination and what everybody fell in love with. Um, we matched. I chose the wet band as, as well. And uh, this is one of those things like this is definitely one. This is actually the pick I was saving for last. But these are some of the best Christmas villains. And uh, they're just great. There's like an element of like you have like the sort of three stooges element to them. You have the sort of like hilarious one liners to them. But when it comes down to it, I really think about how Home Alone, like the first movie, you have Macaulay Culkin playing Kevin McAllister. And I feel like, yeah, like he's like this young new actor, but I feel like he was probably kind of a wild card. Like he could have been like the funniest kid ever or he could have not, you know, like they probably didn't know how like he was going to carry out his role on the screen and how like charismatic he would be. But they casted some of the best actors they could for the villains and even some of the other supporting roles. But I mean, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern in these roles have such a good chemistry and their characters are so funny and the way they deliver their lines. It's just like it's so good. And uh, I don't know, I can't get enough of uh, of these characters when I watch those movies. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm with you there. So anyway, that rolls back to me for my final pick. Um, this comes from probably one of my all-time favorite Christmas films. I make sure I watch it every year, and most people end up having to watch it at least once because it's on quite a bit during the Christmas season. But I went with Scott Farkas. Nice. Uh, Good from, call. From A Christmas Story. And I was trying to decide who I saved for the end, Wet Bandits or Scott Farkas. But in the end of the day, 
it's got to be Scott Parkins. He's probably the one who's been along with me for the longest of the rides, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, majority of my life, Scott Parkins with his yellow eyes. Um, but yeah, he was such a great villain in terms of the holiday season. Uh, you know, we've all dealt with bullies in our life and stuff like that. And Scott Farkas is probably the best example of a classic bully. Um, and we all see how that plays out for him. But, um, but yeah, Scott Farkas, I don't like, look, Christmas story is going to be on. If, if you can't find it on television right now, I know it's on HBO max, but it's going to be on within the next couple days for 24 hours straight. Um, so, and for me to mention, Hey, Christmas story, everyone's probably seen this movie, so they probably don't need to say too much about it, but yeah, Scott Farkas. So, yeah, this is classic. This probably should have made my list and I don't know why I didn't. Cause this is such a good villain and stuff like that. I think it was just more like for personal reasons, there's other characters that stuck out to me more, but this is one of the greatest Christmas movies. It is one of the greatest villains. Um, Scott Farkas has such a unique presence that's always going to stick out in your mind when you think back to this movie. So, uh, yeah, just great call with this one. Yeah. All right. So what is your final pick of the night, my friend? (laughs) (laughs) So my final pick, and this is another one of those lists where we ended up matching on some stuff. And uh, the person I'm selecting for my final pick isn't necessarily the one I wanted to mention last And I feel like it's kind of goofy because I just watched this movie a couple weeks ago. But I went with uh, John Leguizamo's character from the movie Violent Night. And uh, he goes by Mr. Scrooge in the movie. So the movie is essentially about um, it's about Santa Claus getting caught up in a hostage situation at one of the houses that he's delivering presents to. And uh, it's a really badass uh, um, Hopper movie, right? Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hopper from Stranger Things. Uh, David Harbour plays Santa Claus. But uh, it's very gory. It's very badass. But one of the cool aspects of the movie is he's basically delivering presents to this really uh, rich family that's being held hostage. And all of the uh, sort of criminals who are holding this family hostage, they all have, uh, you know, they have their walkie talkies and headsets and stuff. And they all have code names. But all the code names are like classic Christmas elements. Like there is one character who has the code name Krampus. Uh, there's another character who has the code name uh, Candy or Candy Cane and stuff like that. But uh, John Leguizamo is kind of the head honcho of this whole group. And he goes by Mr. Scrooge or just Scrooge over the radio. And they do go into like he has a real name and stuff, but that's the name you remember is Scrooge from this movie. But This, again, this is a character I didn't necessarily mean to mention last, but he, I really fell in love with him as a villain. And I think this movie does a really good balancing act where they, they show you his backstory. They show you how he has this tragic Christmas related incident in his past that set him on the path to becoming a villain and especially a villain who hates Christmas and everything about it. But they don't necessarily make you relate to him and that's what i kind of like because there's a lot of times where this is done really well where you have uh like thanos for example has that sort of sympathetic backstory that's really intricate and amazing in the mcu but i feel like nowadays there's too many times where people feel like every single villain has to be sympathetic to an extent like every single villain you have to feel sorry for or relate to and i think this movie did such a good job of showing like this is why he's this way 
but you're still going to effing hate him. Like, you're going to hate this guy's guts, and you're going to love to hate him, and anything that bat, anything he does, that, uh, anything that happens to him that's bad, you're going to be rooting for it, and anything that he does successfully, it's going to get under your skin, and that's why I picked this one, is this, the movie pulled off such a good love-to-hate villain, and I feel like we don't see that in media enough nowadays, and I just fell in love with this character right away, and uh, that's pretty much in a nutshell why this one made my list, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, watch a violent violent night. <laughs> yes, and I understand why you didn't want that to make it your final pick, but I I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, everybody, just so you know, this is our last week of this is our last show for 2023. We're moving into 2024, and that means we're moving into Christmas. This episode will drop on Christmas Day. Peter and I will actually take off next week. So we're going to enjoy the holidays and enjoy the break and all that stuff. And then we'll be back uh, immediately right away. So um, you can look for our very first episode. Um, we will it be like the second weekend of January or something. Yeah. So our first episode will their first episode of 2024 will land on January 8th. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's just because we're going to take off next week. Um, and then we'll have to record the next one. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, so we hope you guys enjoyed the ride with us for 2023. We look forward to all the fun and excitement for 2024. That being said, I was looking at our giant list of lists because I was struggling with, and this is the hardest part about doing a show. If you've been along with us for the long haul, Peter and I have been doing this for five and a half years now. Um, and so we've had five and a half years of weekly top five lists that's 279 top five lists which is crazy to think about but that means that it's getting harder and harder to pick lists so i was scrolling through the list of lists our massive my giant spreadsheet that shows everything we've ever discussed and i realized for some reason we have never talked about our top five favorite fantasy films and i'm specifically referring to sword and sorcery we've never discussed it um, and there's a ton of them out there, so I hope you've seen at least five. <laughs> um, but I thought that'd be a fun one to start off the new year. So Awesome. Yeah, let's and go I, for like, it. You're, you paused, so I'm like, man, what does that mean? <laughs> I just, I, I thought we did this one, but that's, <laughs> yeah. of course, down for it. <laughs> and that's why, and we actually have not. Um, we've discussed fantasy stuff. We've discussed sword fights. We've discussed, you know, stuff like that, but we've never talked about our fantasy films. And there's a lot of them out there. Um, so just in terms of sword and sorcery, I thought this would be kind of a fun one to discuss. So technically, we're talking about sword and sorcery more than anything, but fantasy. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, do you want to toss this episode in the can and um, go enjoy the holidays? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Everyone, do us all a favor. Check out our pod, uh, our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to our social media along with our uh, email top five report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Social media, either way works. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on X and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on X at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be spreading the word that in the end, the greatest snowball isn't a snowball at all.
It's fear. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Everybody, we hope you all have a fun, wonderful, and safe Christmas, holiday, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Life Day, whatever holiday it is you uh, um, celebrate. We hope you have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year. Enjoy America's biggest or the world's biggest non-event and then celebrate the changing of a clock. Um, we will see you all <laughs> at the beginning of 2024. And uh, yeah, for the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And have a great rest of your year. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Mm-hmm.